Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet. Each week I'll be bringing you stories of people living lives of fruitful service, of peace, community, compassion, creative action, and progressive efforts. I'll be tracing the spiritual roots that support and nourish them in their service, hoping to inspire and encourage you to sink deep roots and produce sacred fruit in your own life. Today's subject is Visions of Sustainability, and I've invited in three people who work concretely with various modes of wise and renewable energy technologies. Two of the three were with organizations at Eau Claire's first solar power conference last year, and will be back this year on Saturday, October 24th, 2015, for year two of Solar Power Wisconsin's Affordable Energy Conference. Things will start at 11 a.m. and finish by 5 p.m. I'll be volunteering there and learning more about solar energy. Their website is solarpowerwisconsin.com if you want to check out the conference. But the three people here today are going to share their sense, their vision of just where we're headed, both in terms of energy technology specifics and in terms of the way we, the people, will and must change in order to reach a brighter future for the Earth. We'll start out with Jeff Knudsen. He lives in eastern Wisconsin and just retired as owner of AA Exteriors. I had him on Spirit in Action a few years ago talking about the zero net carbon and energy building in which he housed his business. He's dropped by, so Jeff Knudsen joins us today right here in our studio. So Jeff, even though you've just retired, I'm sure that this is still an area of great interest in your life. The question is, given the alternative energy and conservation innovations you know about and have worked with, what do you see in our future, both technologically and personally, in terms of how we live our lives? What vision do you have of our future living more responsibly on the earth? How will we be different? Well, well, the biggest change, and it's already started, was the size of a house. The size of the house has been going up and up and up forever, and now it's starting to go down. So the average size of a house is now on the decline because of energy, and we really don't need that much space. People are realizing that, you know, 2,400-square-foot house is outrageous. So we are moving down to smaller houses, which will also give us much more energy efficiency. I see eventually we're going to run out of places to get fossil fuels, so we're going to start having to turn away from them and turn into solar and wind renewable energy, a carbon tax will be coming soon because the government always likes taxes, so they get more revenue. So we, we, we will be seeing a carbon tax in the future, which will change how a lot of people think. The very rich do not care. They're going to drive their SUVs and 
do whatever they want and just pay the price because they don't care because compared to their income, it's a very, very small section of their income. While middle class, which is already reducing, and economically challenged people are going to get hurt the most because as energy is going up, it's more of their income and it's a high percentage of it. So they have to deal with energy efficiency. They can't afford to use incandescent light bulbs. Compact fluorescents are going out. They will be obsolete in probably 10 years because of the disposal of them and the inefficiency now that LEDs have become much more affordable. So LEDs are the new lighting system that's, that's going to be in every home. They're environmentally much better. They use half as much electricity, and they can be dimmable, and they can be used outside. So there's a lot of advantages of, a, of a LED over a compact fluorescent. So our lighting will definitely change. I think our outside lighting will be getting reduced. There's a word for that. They call it sky light pollution, I'm going to call it. But it's basically when you're in an airplane, you see all these lights, and now they're, they're trying to cut that down so it just shines down and doesn't shine up into the sky, which makes it much more efficient because half of it went up into the sky and half of it went down. Now you're just directing it all down where you need it. We're going to be seeing lots more solar and some more wind. Big wind we're going to see tons of, as we've been seeing now. There's a lot of big wind machines coming in for the power companies because that's their most economical source. For small people, though, you can do a small solar system. So there's now panels that you don't even need an inverter. The inverter's in the panel, and they produce AC. So you can put one or two of them on your house, and you can be getting electricity. So you'll be seeing a lot more of small solar coming in. Cars will be changing fuel from natural gas is the new upcoming, and it kind of slowed down right now because natural gas is $2 a gallon and gasoline is two forty. So why bother with natural gas? But, you know, six months ago or maybe a year ago, natural gas was $2 a gallon and gasoline was going on to that $4 figure, $3.50, $4 figure. So that's swinging, but I think natural gas will be the next source. Electric cars are really starting to take off. Different manufacturers are making them. As batteries get better, electric cars get better because you it's the range. So if you want to go on a trip once a year, you have to rent a car, which is really economically a good way to do it is you rent a car for your trips, and then you have a gas-powered car or CNG-powered car, and the rest of the time you're using an electric car, which you can produce your own electricity with solar, so you're able to be, so to speak, off the grid. Off the grid means not having any connection to the power company, which very few people want to do, and it's very expensive to do it because you have to buy batteries, and then every 5 to 10 years you need to replace those batteries. So the cost of your system is 50% more for the batteries, and then every 5 to 10 years you have to pay another 50% to replace those batteries. But as batteries get better, that changes a little bit. But if you can sell it immediately to the power company, that's the better way to do it. And to a lot of people that aren't in the field, off-grid means you're not paying anything to the power company. But in reality, off-grid is not connected to the power company. But zero energy is when you're connected to the power company and you're not using any energy from them, you're producing more than you need. 
which both my house and the office have now, is uh, zero energy. So they don't they produce more than they need. You'll be seeing a lot more of that. I invested in it for retirement so that I could have income coming in for my solar system. So in the summer, I'll get $300 checks from the power company. In the winter, I may not get a check at all for a month or two. And then I'll get a, you know, check for 50 or if it's a hundred dollars, they have to pay me. So that's the rule. So uh, one month and then there's three reasons for not getting solar in the winter. And that would be the days are short, the winters are cold, and it's cloudy in Wisconsin. So you have three whammies hitting you in the winter. And then in the summer, you have everything going with you. So you get your big checks in the summer and the winter you are break even or less. I think every month I do get enough electricity produced to counteract the stuff that I'm using. And at home I do have propane, so I'm actually using the money from my solar system to pay to fill up my tank for propane and still having lots of cash extra because it's about 69 cents a gallon and then I have a 1,000-gallon tank and I use less than that every year. So it's not very expensive to heat compared to $300 checks for three months in a row. So that, well, more than covers my use. You'll be seeing lots more of that. The grid is in bad shape, and if people produce more electricity, we wouldn't need so much power going through the grid. But the power companies are starting to quit growing. They don't need any more electricity anymore. People are being more conservative. They're putting in the proper light bulbs, and they're watching their energy bills so that energy is not going up. So the power company in Wisconsin are getting higher meter charges. So the meter charge has doubled and will double again, if not triple, in the very near future. So just to have a meter on your house, you're you're going to be paying about $50 a month. Just have the meter. That's not any electricity, just the meter. Well, and you're paying how much for your meter charge? $39 is what you're paying for your meter charge, just just the meter. It's not any electricity. People may be going to propane generators. They may be going to other methods of heating. Orion Lighting has a propane generator that runs whenever it's on peak. So whenever it's on peak, they, they run a propane generator, use the heat to heat the building, and use the electricity to counteract the amount of electricity they're using to reduce it because on peak can be up to $0.40. Cents, uh, well, it can be $1.60 a kilowatt hour, but that's only like, 100 hours a year or 200 hours a year when it's that high. And that's when it's really hot and sunny in the summertime and everyone's using air conditioning. There are a lot of environmental impacts that people are having on the earth. The one that has had, I guess, maybe an unfairly great portion of the mind share right now is climate change. How will climate change change how we live and think and act? Well, basically with climate change, roughly speaking, it's going to get stormier. It's probably going to get hotter. Once the ice caps melt, it's going to get hotter really fast because proportionally ice holds a lot of cold while water doesn't. So it's going to be a lot warmer wherever you are. It's going to be much stormier because there's such a temperature difference between the South Pole and North Pole and the equator. So you're going to see a lot more storms, and you've been seeing them. We never used to have storms like we're having now as regularly as we're having them. We've had bad storms and stuff, but not all the time. We're going to be seeing the coastal areas flooding more often. They're going to build their barricades and think they're going to be safe, and 
It's not going to work. The Mother Nature will take over. So you're going to see people moving to high ground and moving away from those areas, especially areas like Bangladesh is going to be hit really bad because they're almost all at sea level. A lot of third world countries are really going to hurt, are hurting from what we're doing. With the Pope speaking about it in the U.S., at the U.N., I think it may help talking about climate change and how it's our responsibility to do something about it. I think it's going to sink in. You know, it's one of those things where you have to tell people and then they think about it and then they hear it again and again and again. And finally, they start changing their mind to, you know, the way it's really going to be and, and that something does have to be done because it is getting warmer. The ice caps are melting and they're melting at a phenomenal rate. So once they melt, you know, we're going to keep getting warmer. We're going to get more droughts. We're going to have less water. We're going to have less food. And we're going to have more problems, more war, a lot more turmoil than we have right now. That all sounds pretty distressing. Do you have any rays of light for the future, something that in your vision that says uh, there's something really to hope for? big ray of light is we're not going to be around for it. <laughs> it's, it's our kids and our grandkids, our great-great-grandkids and further generations that are really going to be suffering from this because we didn't do anything at this time. And I don't think... You know, personally, you can start doing stuff which helps, but you need everybody to do a little bit, and then you can start reversing what's happening. I heard a new concept of what's going on is that Mother Nature will take care of itself, and we don't have enough faith in Mother Nature that when we start warming up, something will happen to change it. An example was the all the plastic in the Pacific Ocean. There might be a bug or some kind of organism that eats this plastic that will come about by it being there for a food source for this time, and then something is going to find out how to eat it and be able to use it and digest it, and it's going to thrive because there's pl tons of plastic, and that's what nature does is it thrives on where there's plenty of food. So if, if you want your mice to thrive in your yard, you need to feed the birds. And when you feed the birds, the seeds fall down, and the mice and the voles all eat that, and the population explodes. Then dogs or any animal that eats the mice, then that'll survive better because it's got more food source. And that's how Mother Nature works. And it's up and down. Something gets overfilled, and then whatever keeps it under control comes in and starts taking over. And it has so much food that it thrives really well and, and can take over that. So that was one concept I heard that was amazing on that mother might nature might just take care of the problems with, you know, global warming, which is different than climate change, because climate change cannot necessarily be warming just because you get a cold winter doesn't mean there is no climate change. It's just a cycle in and out of, of weather. But generally speaking, we are going warmer. Generally speaking, the ice caps are melting and every year they're melting more than they had the last year. They're not getting enough to keep building or hold stable. They are reducing. And I think we'll be forced by Mother Nature to do something about this. I think Mother Nature is going to force us. With Sandy and, and what happened with that storm, people had to adapt and change and realize that Mother Nature does not give up. She keeps hitting us until it sinks in and... It was nice that it hit the United States because the United States is one of the worst culprits for the increase of climate change. So on the wave of the future is people are going to have to, it's going to have to sink in 
because eventually it's going to hit their life personally and then it's going to affect them and they're going to pay attention. So I don't mean just, you know, gas going from a buck to $10 a gallon. That's something slow that the rich can deal with. But I'm talking about everything changing and it really hitting you hard like a storm that hits people hard and everybody realizes what's going on from it. And on a personal note, you've retired at the beginning of this year from working with weatherizing houses, making them more than weatherizing, I, I realize. You've been working on weatherizing, working on improving houses so we don't waste energy. And we were to your zero net energy and your zero carbon house, your office where you used to live in a previous edition of Spirit in Action. How has your life changed environmentally or how has your heart changed by retiring does that mean that's all part of the past or how do you live into your concern for the well-being of the world well luckily i was able to sell the business to another person so that continues and he was an energy auditor in the commercial business in the commercial field or he still is to degree days is his company Torrance Kramer, and it's still AA Exterior, so it's still on the net, and you can still get service from the company that I had. So that part is still continuing with somebody younger and more energetic than an old man like me. (laughs) And my life has changed. It's time for me now to start looking at why I'm still around, what I need to be around for, what God has for my next steps where I'm going from here. I've always wanted to volunteer, so I started volunteering at the International Sailing Association out of Oshkosh, Wisconsin. It's the largest sailing school in the world, or in North America. They teach kids how to sail in a day. All schools but one in Oshkosh, all fifth graders have been exposed to sailing, paddle sports, stand-up paddle boarding, and kayaking. So it's a nice introduction for them on what's available with nature and getting back to nature and, you know, being able to enjoy the waters that we have and and using them for other things than walking around or, or biking around or something like that. So that's one of the things I've been doing personally. And then the other is just those million things on the list to do. The, uh, on, on the bucket list, so to speak. Some things I just see it and say, you know, I should have that on my bucket list. In fact, I'm going to just do it. So this year I sailed the Trans-Superior Race from Sault Ste. Marie to Duluth, Minnesota. We left Saturday at noon, and Tuesday afternoon we pulled into Duluth. So it's a, a long race uh, powered by sail, and then we were in the cruising class so we could use the motor and drive when we wanted to. It cost us some points, but you didn't have to sit in there bobbling around with no wind. So it was very beneficial that you could always keep moving when you only go five miles an hour, which is extremely slow to today's society of driving. Well, now the speed limit's 70 in Wisconsin, so the usual 70-mile-an-hour speed down to five. <laughs> uh, but powered by the wind, that was inter- you know a thing, so... Well, enjoy your retirement and make the world a better place by it. And thank you so much again for joining me for Spirit in Action. Well, thank you very much, Mark. I always enjoy talking to Spirit Radio because uh, where it's going and what it's doing for the world. So I think Spirit Radio is a good source of knowledge for people to get the right, right view of nature and the spirit. 
That guest was Jeff Knudsen, just retired as owner of AA Exteriors. The link's on northernspiritradio.org, as you'd expect, because Spirit in Action is a Northern Spirit Radio production. On our website, you'll find more than 10 years of our programs available for free listening and download. Plus, you'll find links to our guests, and you can post comments on our programs. It's up to you to make our communication two-way. And you can donate via the site, which is how this full-time work is funded. But even more important is the need to support your local community radio station with your hands and with your wallet. There's no better way to guarantee such a wide slice of music and news on our airwaves, unfettered by profit or governmental politics. Start there and support the real strength of our grassroots nation. And now on to our second guest for our Visions of Sustainability episode. Jim Olson is president of E3 Coalition, where the E3 stands for Energy, Environment, and Economics. Jim Olson joins us by phone from Viroqua, Wisconsin. Thanks so much for joining me today, Jim, for Spirit in Action. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for having me. So, again, I ran into your partner, Kurt, when he was up here for the solar conference we had last November. This year, it's a little bit earlier, right the end of October, we've got all these solar energy-related people up here. Could you tell me first a little bit about E3 Coalition, what you do? Because you're not just solar by any means. No, uh, we're not just solar. We do energy efficiency as well. We're a small business down here in southwest Wisconsin in Viroqua. We started about six years ago when there was some stimulus money that came out for municipalities called the Energy Efficiency and Conservation Block Grant. It provided some money for uh, planning, energy planning, and then also some implementation projects. Down here, what we did was being in a small community in rural Wisconsin, we didn't have a big population base, and so we thought it would be good to bring communities together to combine resources to do kind of an overarching energy plan. We did that, and uh, we worked with about 10 communities doing the planning, and then we've expanded that even now. I think we're over 15 now, and we've been still doing projects for many of these communities as money comes available based on the planning that we did before. So we started there. And I saw on your website, there were notes that for the city of Viroqua, where you're located, you put together a plan, you did something for them, and the first month, they had a 60% drop in their energy bill. What did you do? Evict 60% of the government? Yeah, right. No, uh, there's so many things that can be done now, from simple occupancy sensors, you know, it's like in the public works garage through the day, they come and go. Most of the day, they're gone out doing stuff. If they leave the lights on, especially in the wintertime when they're out plowing and whatnot, they'll leave the lights on so that they stay on a long time. So we put occupancy sensors, things like that. So when that garage door opens, it catches them coming in and it turns on instantly and stays on for maybe 10, 15 minutes or until they leave. And then we did a bunch of insulation projects and a bunch of lighting projects and boilers and other HVAC-related projects. So we did. We did a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of projects, but yeah, we, we instantly saw dramatic energy savings and dollar savings and maintenance savings too. 
Well, the reason that I'm talking to you, Jim, is because as a person working in the field, and particularly you seem to take a, a wider view, it's not just one narrow slice of alternative energy, because you take this wider view, I'm wondering how you can answer my philosophical question for the day. Given the alternative energy and conservation innovations that you know about and you've worked with, and obviously you've worked with a lot of them, what do you see in our future, both technologically and personally, and that personally is real important to me, in how we live our lives? What vision do you have of our future living more responsibly on the earth? How will we be different? What's your take on that? Well, that's a big, beautiful question. It's something that I've been looking at in my life as well. You know, probably 15 years ago, got kind of in that survivalist mode, like, oh, crap, the world's going down a, a big tube, and <laughs> it's not a pretty picture. And so after burying myself with all of that fear, last couple of years, I've been shedding that fear and understanding life to be a little different. So it is a philosophical question that it's really important to me as well. You know, I, I believe in more of a conscious evolution of where we stand. And I see the way that we've been working as being very fragmented. And, you know, not to get into politics too much, but it's part of it. We've been living more and making decisions based on fear-based feeling. And so I see us needing to make a shift towards more of a, a love-based feeling. So really the essence of who we are, getting past that fear-based, making decisions based from love versus fear. And I see our politics, I see a lot of us in our daily lives focusing on the fear. I've been making the, the shift personally, and it's really helped out tremendously coming from the brink of divorce and losing the family and the business and all of that stuff is really what spurred me to really take a deeper look at where am I, what am I doing, and why Why am I feeling this way, this, this severe discomfort. And the deeper I looked, it came down to us living more from that fear perspective. I don't know if you can relate to that or not. But. Oh, of course, of course. As a Quaker, my particular, the vision I live up to is I want to live up to the light, I want to grow to the light, which is so different than avoiding the fear, you know, or wrestling with fear. Yeah, that's a beautiful perspective. Being the light, you know, be the change you want to see. It takes a lot to get to that point. And, you know, I was raised a Catholic. and Likewise. And that's, yeah, that's, it was more fear-based. If you don't do this, you, you're going to go to hell. And so I, it was very uncomfortable for me as a young child and through my adult life trying to figure out what that, why I was, you know, I wasn't even trying to figure it out. It's just the discomfort was there. It wasn't until a couple of years ago when it really came to a head where I needed to make that shift or otherwise it just keep on that same fear-based wheel. You know, I, I wasn't an alcoholic, but I quit drinking alcohol. I quit drinking caffeine and, you know, actually quit gluten and doing a lot of things that I felt like might be obscuring how I'm feeling. I really wanted to get back to my senses. That's how I got to the point where I was. I feel like in order for us to make the change, to make this shift, we really need to get back to allowing ourselves to feel what we're feeling and not being so busy and masking it. And from that point, we'll be making the right decisions about our energy future, about our our environment and everything else. 
but it's hard to make those decisions when you're running around and everything's so chaotic, really in this frenetic kind of fear mode where it's really hard to make good long-term decisions when we're almost in a survivalist mode. And so, you know, when it comes to what I see in the future with energy, from an energy standpoint, I see that there's resistance from the utilities with solar. You know, they obviously don't want to lose their revenues. So they resisted it, and now they're coming to and trying to do some big solar farms and whatnot, which is great. But what I really see is that the people will come to a point where we realize that how it's situated now, the big investor-owned utilities like Excel or mg you know, they have a lot of good people working for them. But the key difference is that they're responsible to the shareholders versus the ratepayers. And so they will, by law, I believe they're obligated to basically get as much money as they can from us to pay their shareholders. And, you know, I'm not trying to, it's not really a pessimistic view of anything. It's just how it is. And so I believe that we'll need to have more co-ops like there already are, in, especially in Wisconsin, especially on this western side of the state. We have a ton of rural electrical co-ops. There's some municipal utilities in the state as well. There's 20 or 25 of both. So I think there's there's got to be 50-plus of these smaller utilities that have the ratepayers. That's who they're responsible to versus the shareholders. It's happening already where the city of Boulder is trying to buy out, and I don't know where it's at, but buy out Excel, which that was Excel's kind of stronghold, and that, you know, Minneapolis and Eau Claire is to Excel as well. And so the big utilities are, I think, there's a little bit of concern on their part of what's called municipalization of the utilities. So like most municipalities, it's all public-owned water and sewer. It'll probably, my guess, eventually, I don't know how long it'll take, but get back to that with the grid as well. So we're going to have locally produced, owned, controlled energy instead of corporate shareholders being the driving incentive for how energy decisions are made. I believe so, yes. What about the other aspects of our life? How will we live differently? You know, if we get to that point where we're living from more of that space of that being of love versus that fear and everybody has their own lawnmower more community around community production, even smaller little microgrid, even within communities. And technology will, uh, you know, solar's come a long ways. It's, you know, it's extremely inexpensive right now. So it's very affordable. There's even, it can get down to a 20-year payback without all the tax credits and stuff right now. So solar itself looks really good. Wind Big wind is really the only thing that makes sense from a wind standpoint, from my perspective. But uh, also, there'll, there'll be some technologies called, you know, like combined heat and power. Basically, with our home heating and our electrical system, we can even have little, they're called combined heat and powers generators. Basically, it's a generator that you can circulate water through it to cool it down. But you take that heat and use it for your hot water, or you can use it for space heating as well. It works, you know, they do it on the bigger scale quite a bit when you have district heating. So that's another thing is communities looking long-term will want to start considering the combined heat and power and looking at district heating again. 
they did it in the old days where they had a central plant. You know, they still do it on universities where you have a centralized plant where you can do combined heat and power. So you're not just expelling the heat. So then you can get your efficiencies up to 50% or something versus just when you do combustion. Coal, by the time it gets to your house, I think is maybe 25% efficient or something. So we'll look at combined systems. We'll be looking at solar hot water. It's combined with a holding tank and a boiler. So the boiler will always be able to take that heat. It'll all work as a single system. So you won't have so many things in your basement, too. It almost sounds like there would be the dramatic, I guess, efficiencies if we live together. One of the reasons you can do it on a university campus is because they've got a whole bunch of people who are living on the same system. The American household is isolated houses here and there and everywhere, and we each have our own. So is there necessarily a loss of efficiency by being this rugged individualist? Right. Well, uh, you know, within a community, there's definitely a loss of efficiency when everybody is so fragmented. And that gets to the point of, yeah, of uh, more of the intentional communities coming back together. And the difficult thing is that we have this infrastructure that we built in these cities that, you know, it's, there's a lot of money that has been spent to do that. And, there, you know, a lot of that was spent in the 40s and 50s after the war. And so a lot of that infrastructure is 50 to 75 years old, and it's beginning to fail. And so the cities are starting to rebuild that, depending on who they have helping them plan, which is typically people that you know are swamped in their work and they don't have time to really do research or anything like that. And it's not a common place to look outside the box, and it's always difficult to get to city council. It takes someone almost outside of the city council who might be retired that has the time that has done the research to say, hey, let's look at this. Let's consider this microgrid possibility. Let's consider this district heating for this area. I tried to do it myself here in Barroqua, and it didn't go very far. You know, they didn't have the vision. They, they hadn't seen it before, so it was kind of this obscure thought. So I don't know what's going to be the shift that helps our local governments make that change to kind of think outside the box. But more than likely, it's not going to come from the government. It's going to come from, you know, you and I stepping up and saying, hey, we want to look at something different. We see something different for our communities. And, you know, that's the nice thing about a municipal utility that they will do that. They will take that risk. They'll do it collectively and they will do what the people ask for. And so I think that's one of the big hurdles and one of the big divides is that there is that conflict of interest between existing utilities and a small municipality or any municipality. There's people putting up dikes so the wave of the future doesn't come in. Yeah, right. Exactly. Good way to put it. So are you hopeful? Oh, yeah. I'm tremendously hopeful. You know, if you would have asked me two years ago, I would have said, we're out of luck. This world's going down. But you know, I've really shifted how I feel. And I realized that just those small concepts of being the change we want to see and understanding that from a whole new perspective, that if we focus on the fear, that's what will come to us. So if we focus on the positive, that's what's going to come to us. And so, I mean, there's a collective intelligence too and a collective energy that I think we all understand or feel but can't explain I feel that there is a shift. I see it in my community already. I feel it. It's happening, and 
I feel like the shift can happen fast. I don't think it needs to be this long, drawn-out shift. So, Jim, you don't think we need to wait another 15 years to get a 20% decrease in our greenhouse gas emissions? It's figures like that that are described as ambitious when, you know, to me, these goals seem pitiably slow and inadequate. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy how much waste there is. The local governments, from an efficiency standpoint alone, we could hit that 20%. Households, I don't know. My household's really efficient from a light bulb standpoint, you know, and we do programmable thermostats and we bring the temperatures down pretty low at night and we don't get it that high. We have radiant heat, which is a lot nicer than forced air furnaces, so we can, I think it's easier to get away with that. But I know for a fact we can do it a lot faster than 25 by 25, the goal for that. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. You know, like sheriff squad cars running when they're giving tickets, you know, now we have LED lights. And so one of the reasons they ran the cars was because the lights would drain the battery and they didn't want to drain the battery. And so now they can cycle them, you know, they can turn them off to a point and then it'll actually charge when it needs to charge. So you can have a smarter vehicle. It's just a matter of how proactive the government is, the local government focusing on making these improvements. Well, Jim, there's a whole lot of information that you have to share, and I do want to encourage people, if they want to learn more, you've got the knowledge there for them. Again, you're in Viroqua, which is a small town in western central Wisconsin. The company you're president of, E3 Coalition, and that's website, e3coalition.org. I've got the website on northernspiritradio.org. You're helping local communities there. I think you're transforming the small towns of western Wisconsin. We can do this, and I especially appreciate your pointers about looking toward love instead of fear and the difference that can make in what's possible for our vision of the future. So thank you for those insights. Thank you for doing the work on the ground, and thank you for joining me for Spirit in Action. Thank you, Mark. I really appreciate it. You're doing a wonderful thing. That was Jim Olson of E3 Coalition. And next and last up for today's look into visions of sustainability is from right here in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Zeus Stark is the head of a company called Next Step Energy. They were, of course, represented at Eau Claire's Solar Power Conference last year, and you can see and hear them there this year, 2015, on October 24th, between 11 a.m. and 5 p.m. Get the details at solarpowerwisconsin.com. And let's get Zeus Stark on the phone right now. Zeus, I'm so happy to finally have you with us for Spirit in Action. Well, hello, and thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to being on your show. So you've had Next Step Energy for a lot of years now. You've been doing such wonderful work, including on our house. But I knew you back when you were, dare we say, a lowly postal delivery person. Well, I, I wouldn't call this postal person a lowly position, but I found that I couldn't work for somebody else on a long-term basis. So I needed to do something that could uh, I could give myself back to people. I couldn't do that as a letter carrier. I was doing something that was a larger mission. 
Yeah, well, that seems like you. Uh, from the day that I first met you at Sonata Food Co-op, I knew you were a special person with a mission. You have a certain glow about you. And all the better that you'd work with solar so much these days, since you've got that glow about you, it, it kind of gives an explanation for it. How long have you been doing Next Step Energy? Maybe since 2001, so this is our 14th year, or my 14th year in it. It's been a long, interesting process. A lot of learning, I'm sure. And of course, the industry has changed. And that's one of the reasons that I have you here, because I think you like to engage in both the technological nitty gritty of it, but you also are a person, I think, of vision. I want to find out where we're going, where you see how we're going to live differently with renewable energy, the conservation innovations, where we're going in the future, both personally and technologically. What do you see coming for us? I think we're actually on our way there. I see it as becoming more and more mainstream each day. The renewable energy is becoming more prevalent. I wouldn't say it's an alternative anymore. It's becoming a part of the reality of our energy. And I see it just taking a higher percentage each year until it has a large threshold on the, on the energy production. And I do see balancing the loads and the production as the technological side of things would be so when the sun's shining is in the daytime but we still use energy through the evening so how the utilities balance those loads from when the resource is available to when the need for the energy is is where i think the technology is going to have to come in i'm not sure exactly what that technology is it's batteries or if it's um just smart grid management and shifting and having fast non-renewable sources to fill in how do you think that that means that we'll change as people? I mean, the fact that our, instead of getting it from coal or oil or natural gas, that we're getting it from solar or wind or something else, how will that change us as people and how we live? Well, I guess I'm looking at that question. I would say there's a small group of people who are really conscious about what they do. And they are already doing everything they can to address this issue. And we need to make it mainstream. You can see that in the last swing towards trying to reduce usage of energy and stuff, it's, it can be kind of what's popular. It'll, it'll step and flow in the masses. So I think it has to come back to economics. And I think that energy has to have a cost that's real to what it is and not something that's artificially low. And once that happens, we're going to focus as a mass on what we're, you know, a small group of people are doing right now and go towards a local economy, go towards, you know, more public transportation, pedestrian and bike transportation, you know, really focus on energy efficiency to a level that will work with the high cost of energy. But as long as energy is cheap, people are going to waste it on a large scale. And so... I see that we really need to have a realistic cost of energy. Unless it's renewable, it should have a higher cost to it because it's, we're looking at instantaneous value, not long-term value of the energy when we buy it. You know, Zeus, although I've known you for some decades, I don't know if you've ever visited Europe. And I've been to Europe a number of times. And, you know, I lived in Africa, Peace Corps. And people live their lives energetically differently than we do. Lights go off automatically in hallways and people have on-demand water heaters. And they had this 20 years ago, 30 years ago. In the U.S., 
that's still on the cutting edge for a lot of people to try and control that kind of things. Have you been to Europe? Do you see us adopting different ways of building, running our houses, anything that might be related to what, you know, Europe, they had triple our prices for energy many years ago. So there's a reason they started conserving. Yes, yes. I, I haven't been there, but I'm fairly aware of the technologies that are going on over there. And I, I do a lot of those here for people. And so there's we, we put in a lot of occupancy sensors and light sensors for lights for commercial buildings and such. We also are putting in a lot of LED lights, which can save you know 70% on the energy cost for the lighting side. And the European heating system is more of a water-based, quick-acting outdoor reset. So you, you adjust the season so you're not overshooting and wasting energy. You're running your optimum on your boilers. And so all the, all those technologies are actually really infiltrating the U.S. market now. And we've been trying to do it for, you know, 14 years, but it's getting more prevalent and easier to obtain a lot of that stuff today than it was 14 years ago. So I see I see it moving that direction here as well. And Zeus, I don't know, you've got certainly some kind of uh, legal documentation. You're incorporated as Next Step Energy. Do you have a purpose written into what you've done? I mean, is that written down explicitly? Here's what we're trying to do. For a lot of corporations, the only purpose is let's make a buck. I do not have a written purpose, but I do have a, my purpose is to help people obtain something for their energy use that will reduce it and make them comfortable at the same time. And so personally, I'm interested in those technologies and helping people get that technology implemented. And I, I try to steer people in a direction that they want to go. And I'm comfortable with being a part of, and if it's something that they want to do and I'm not super comfortable with, I'll tend to let them find somebody else to do it. I'm wondering how much you live it out personally. You know, I've been to your house and I didn't notice all of the solar and everything bangles scattered around the house, although I think they're probably there. Have you changed your lifestyle because of being energy conscious? I mean, for instance, just example that I think that most Americans, we'd be better off if we did. We could go to sleep when it gets dark and get up when it gets light or something close to that instead of staying up. Some of us are, you know, night owls. Yeah, using daylighting in a sense. But yeah, when I I first got into Next Step Energy, I was using about 650, 700 kilowatt hours between 600 and 850 kilowatt hours a month for my utility bill. And we had a maybe a nine-month-old daughter and the two of us. And we, with two daughters, use about 250 kilowatt hours of electricity a month. So we're, we've cut our usage to a third or less just by implementing energy efficiency measures. And we do have solar hot water on our house. We probably will have solar electric by the end of next year as well. So we had a tree that we had to take down, which opened up a window so we can now do solar electric that we couldn't before. Given that you've been doing Next Step Energy for 14 years, it's a little bit ironic that it may be next year's when you'll get your solar PV in. Of course, you've got to take care of everyone else. And you're, there's always more demand than you can possibly fill, isn't there? Yeah, and I would say that I couldn't justify taking a tree down to get it at the time. So 
that was one of the biggest reasons why we don't have it. But also finding the time to do it is the second. But we've done hundreds of systems for people, but I've yet to do one. <laughs> I did have I did have a battery charging system at my house, and somebody needed one, and they wanted one that was economical, so I sold them that one. So it went up, and then it came back down. As you know, on October 24th, there's the solar conference that will be held here in Eau Claire, the second year of that, and you were there last year. Is Next Step Energy going to be at the conference this year? Will you be there? Actually, the we will be there. Next Step will. I probably won't be because my daughter is away at uh, boarding school in Iowa, and we have a parent day that we can go down and visit her. And I need to focus some time on the, getting to see my daughter because we don't see her as much as we used to. Do you think that your children grew up being different about energy than a lot of kids because of your consciousness at home? I think that most kids don't give it much of a thought. And I think that somehow your kids would have been raised with consciousness of it. My daughters are, when they when they look at resources, materials, and energy, they are very conservative with things. They, they feel free to use, but they don't waste them. They don't tend to feel like they have to have the newest technology. They don't feel like they have to have things that they're not sitting and watching a big screen all the time, but they could work on, they could work on shutting lights off a little bit more, but in general, they do use their resources really frugally and respectfully. And you mentioned that Athena's over at Scattergood Friends School do they have solar there? Is she? Is your training, your energy conservation and sensitivity to the source of our energy, is she still learning that over there? Well, they have a solar electric system down there. They had a solar space heating system for their gym, and they put a small solar electric system in on top of that and disconnected that heating system. It's there as a kind of a, a sample. They spend more of their financial resources on teaching their students and giving them the best possible staff. And I would say that they don't they don't tend to put it into the structure as much as they tend to put it into their students. I can respect that. That's where we are at home too. We'd rather have a, a quality day than you know a nice looking <laughs> structure. <laughs> in a sense, you know. It doesn't need to be sugar-coated. I think that the school is that way, too. One more question, Zeus, and that is as to what motivates you in this area. Again, most businesses are motivated by you know, just profit, and clearly you have a bigger vision than that. So partly the question is, why should we have renewable instead of the fossil fuels? Is it just because they pollute or, you know, we know that they're going to run out. We, we think we're on the decline, that there's less supplies. We've passed halfway and it'll get more expensive from here. And those things will act as their own incentive. But I sense that there's some other kind of vision that motivates you that's beyond just, well, it's going to cost you this much money. Right. I like to see people become independent. You know, renewable energy allows people to be independent. They're able to take responsibility for their portion of their use of energy. That freedom allows, it it does a couple of things. As far as like homeland security, it's the best thing we can do as a nation. 
we are getting something that doesn't affect anybody else in a negative way. It has so many positive aspects to it. Individually, it does. And I enjoy the technology and I enjoy the challenge. I feel good about outcome. I guess when people do take the step towards renewables, the first thing or after they do it, they start instantly looking at where they're using energy. It opens up a whole other realm for them if it hasn't already been a part of the realm of, of, oh, do I really need to have this coffee pot sitting on this electric element all day long? Or do I really need to, you know, have this TV plugged in so that I can turn it on any time of the day? All these little places where you're using electricity that you don't know it. I see the more informed people are about all these phantom loads that are going on, the more likely they're going to buy something that doesn't have that in the future, and the more likely the manufacturers are going to change and get rid of those little loads. And it's all integral from manufacturing and design and all the way down to how we live our life. And you're part of making it all happen with Next Step Energy and just by your personal example, you and Laurie and the way that you live your lives really is inspirational to so many of us in the Eau Claire area. And because of Next Step Energy, you reach out in wide circles. So I appreciate that work. I'll look forward to seeing you at the solar conference here in Eau Claire on the 24th, either you or one of the other folks from Next Step Energy. And I appreciate so much you taking time this morning to join me for Spirit in Action. All right. Thank you, Mark. And I appreciate the invitation. And again, that was Zeus Stark. He's with Next Step Energy, their website, nextstepenergy.com. And they're amongst the many providers of renewable energies and solar energy in particular at the solar conference that'll be in Eau Claire, Wisconsin on the 24th of October, 2015. I'll have a link to it on my website, northernspiritradio.org. Thanks so much. And we'll see you next week for Spirit in Action. So our third guest for Spirit in Action was Zeus Stark of Next Step Energy, website nextstepenergy.com. Thanks to Zeus and to Jim Olson of E3 Coalition and to Jeff Knutson, formerly of AA Exteriors, for their contribution toward a vision of a sustainable world. Andrew Jansen helped with the production of this episode, and we'll see you next week for Spirit in Action. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. This Spirit in Action program is an effort of Northern Spirit Radio. You can listen to our programs and find links and information about us and our guests on our website, northernspiritradio.org. Thank you for listening. I am your host, Mark Helpsmeet, and I welcome your comments and stories of those leading lives of spiritual fruit. May you find deep roots to support you and grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. With every voice.